your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Bowers awaits the shotgun snap, sends the tight end in motion. They roll right. Bowers throws pass. It's not going Let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Well, Ben will join us later from Tempe, Arizona, where he and Nick Hanley are getting ready to call later tonight the Game 1 of the Arizona State-Nebraska series. Huskers will match up with the 12th-ranked Sun Devils in three games. Tonight, tomorrow night, Sunday afternoon for the three games down there. Huskers continue to be on the road. A week from today will be the home opener for the Big Red. Columbia will be here Next week at 1.35 at Haymarket Park to start the home season. So Ben will join us with the latest from the ballpark coming up in just a couple of minutes. Well, all last night, kind of we've seen that before, haven't we? With Husker basketball against Ohio State, the Buckeyes with just a tremendous start to the game. When you see Dwayne Washington dropping in threes, I mean, it was just – it was like, yep, there we go again. Somebody else who's not been shooting the ball well comes alive against the Huskers. Uh, Nebraska digs a big hole, can't get out of it. Ohio State up 16 at the half, and the game really never in doubt after that as the Buckeyes win it 75-54. Nebraska's slide continues uh, 13 straight. Now in the loss column for Huskers. Uh, I think that gets snapped on Sunday when Northwestern comes for the home finale for the Big Red. 3.15 tip time for Nebraska-Northwestern. And the, a victory for Nebraska on Sunday would lock them out of being they, – they, they couldn't finish in 14th. They would be in 13th place. They're currently a game ahead of the Cats. Northwestern, though, did beat Nebraska. So a Northwestern win, they would have – the two teams would be tied, and you would have the tiebreaker going to the Cats because they would have swept the series. So, But last night, you know, Nebraska, dug, Washington hit those early shots, put Nebraska in a hole. Then uh, Nebraska really tightened it down defensively. That and, and Ohio State started missing shots. In fact, Ohio State 0 for 12, 0 for 12 in the last half of that of the game against Nebraska last night. So they were 0 for 12 from three-point range in the second half, but they were 6 of 13 in the first half when they opened up that lead. The the, the mark for Nebraska that is kind of cool is uh, Big Ivan set the freshman record for rebounds. He went by Alex Marich, freshman rebounding mark. So that was a cool figure for last night's game. I thought Deshaun Burke played pretty well last night. He had 13 Good to see Cam Mack back out on the floor. Cam had a dozen points with three rebounds. But Nebraska couldn't make a three. It took forever. I think it was about the 10-minute mark of the second half before Nebraska finally hit a three. They ended up three of 16 from behind the line in the game. Um, so, and for Nebraska to pull off an upset over a team like Ohio State, they, they got to make jump shots. And they could not make threes last night. Burke was one for four. Cross was 0 for four. Thor went 0 for 2. That's a rarity for Cross. It really looked to me, and I think Fred Hoiberg even said this after the game, that Ohio State's game plan was take the three away from Nebraska. We'll give up some drives to the basket, and they can do that because they've got rim protectors. They've got uh, Caleb Wesson inside, and they also have the big 
Lydell kid who had five block shots against Nebraska last night. So they gave up they gave up uh, layups, but they missed three point shots last night, and so then Nebraska not able to uh, to to pull off the victory last night. So they drop to seven and twenty one and two and fifteen in the league. Ohio State now is at nineteen and nine and nine and eight. I was watching some ESPN earlier today. And Joe Lenardi, this is the time of year that Joe Lenardi becomes a rock star for ESPN. I mean, they go through all the bracketology stuff with him on a daily basis. He makes all these appearances, even in-game appearances. You'll be watching games from now to the to tournaments to Selection Sunday, and Joe Lenardi is going to be all over the place. I mean, he is going to be in everywhere, talking about who's on the bubble, who's his next four out, who's his last four in, all those type of things. And, and one of the discussion points that came up today was about should teams who are in these power conferences like the Big Ten or the ACC, should these teams who don't have 500 records in league play make the tournament? And Lenardi was making a pretty strong case, and, and I tend to agree with him that if you can't at least be 500 in your conference, regardless of how tough your league is, that you really don't deserve a bid in the NCAA tournament. Now, I know you still got to get 68 teams in the field. You still got to fill the bracket out. I, I get all that. But, you know, and, and, and the, the, the specific teams that were being brought up were Purdue and Indiana. And you look at Purdue, they're 8-10 and 10 in the league with two games to go. So they theoretically could still get to 10-10 and 10 in the conference. But they're eight and ten in the league, and they're fifteen and fourteen overall. And right now, Lenardi says they're they're out. And this guy was like, "Well, they're, but their net ranking is in the thirties, and their RPI and all, strength of schedule, throwing all these things." And Lenardi's like, "Yeah, I, I hear that, but they're eight and ten in the Big Ten. Indiana's eight and nine in the Big Ten. Do those teams really deserve an at-large bid in the NCAA tournament? I tend to lean no, and." and some people say, well, the, this the Big Ten's unbelievable. It's great this year. And, and it is. It's really good. Most years it is pretty darn good, except for the one year Nebraska had the heck of a team and only got four bids. But Lenardi had some stats that in the last four years of the tournament, teams that have made the, the tournament with an at-large bid, not by winning their conference tournament, but getting an at-large bid that did not have a 500 league record were 3-11 and in the first round of the NCAA tournament. So really low success rate. Um, and then he then he went to some non-Power 5 teams that had like more than 23 regular season wins uh, that got a bid, a met large bid, and they're like the reverse. They were like 10 and 5 in, in those things. So his point was at some point wins matter. And so we're going to throw up our runs of Twitter poll tonight at Husker Sports and just very simply, do you think teams that don't have 500 records in their conference should get automatic bids? Now, Brett did some research. Remember the year, I think it was 13, that UConn won the NCAA tournament, and they were like an eight seed in the NCAA tournament, and they were like ninth or 10th in the Big East at that time. UConn had a right at 500. They were 9-9 nine and nine in league play. So they would have qualified. If, if you go to a hard rule that you have to at least be 500 or better in your league to get in, Syracuse would have qualified. The team that came to my mind when I was thinking about this was Oklahoma two years ago with Trey Young, who was having an unbelievable freshman season. People wanted to see Trey Young play. Oklahoma that year, were they were two games below 500. 
They got in, and their record was a lot like Purdue's. And Purdue's currently 15 and 14. Oklahoma's was somewhere in that range. They were barely above 500 overall. They were below 500 in the league. Oklahoma got a bid. People are like, how do you give Oklahoma a bid? Well, the Sooners get in the tournament and get beat by Rhode Island. So they're out after round one. They lose to a non-Power 5 team in Rhode Island in game one and probably shouldn't have gotten in. So when I look at the Big Ten right now, Maryland, Illinois, Wisconsin, Penn State, Michigan State, Iowa, Ohio State, Michigan, Rutgers. All are at 500 or better in the conference. Rutgers right there at 9-9. Nine and nine. But that's nine Big Ten teams. And I, I've been hearing for weeks that the Big Ten's going to get 11. And I kept going, I don't think they're going to get 11. you got to win games. Winning should matter to the NCAA Tournament Committee. Yeah, you play a tough schedule, but you need to win. So I love your, your thoughts, your take. And get on there, and you can vote on our Twitter poll. At Husker Sports is the follow whether you think teams should have at least a 500 record in their league to get into the NCAA tournament. And I look at some other Power f- Power Five conferences. Uh, let's just go to the, our old league, the Big Ten, the Big Twelve Conference. Baylor, Kansas, Texas Tech. Those are the only three right now in the Big Twelve that have above 500 records. But you have Oklahoma, West Virginia, Texas, all at seven and eight, certainly with the three games to go in the regular season. One of those or two of those probably going to get there. Right now, I think the Big Ten, they're calling for five bids. The three that are above 500 in Tech, Candace, and Baylor. Um, they're also most people putting West Virginia in, who's 19 and nine overall, but just seven and eight in their league. I think it's a fascinating quandary. Um, you know, and people say, well, you're fighting for the little guy, perhaps. Uh, maybe I am fighting for the second or third best team in the Atlantic 10 Conference, which happens to be being won by Dayton, who's undefeated in that conference at 15-0. and But Rhode Island, the team that I mentioned beat Oklahoma two years ago, they're 12-3. and They're probably okay. But is Richmond at 11-4? and What about St. Bonaventure at 10-5 and in that league? Uh, that's a pretty good conference for basketball. How about the AAC with Houston and Cincinnati and Tulsa and Wichita State, SMU, Memphis, those teams? Um, it'll be interesting to see what the committee does. It, it seems to float from year to year to year, but Lenardi was making a pretty strong case when I was watching a sports center earlier today that he feels like you ought to at least have above 500 record to get yourself into the NCAA tournament. We'll love your take on that. Again, you can go vote at Husker sports is our Twitter follow. All right. If you have some thoughts, we'd love to hear those as well. 866-HUSKER-1-866-487-5371. We'll take some calls. Ben McLaughlin will join us in our next segment from the ballpark down in Tempe with the Huskers getting ready to take on Arizona State. I've got some updated results from the NFL Combine that uh, the defensive lineman did some bench pressing today. We'll tell you how some of the Huskers did there. And a college football rules committee met today and made some recommendations for a full vote in April. Some of them are pretty intriguing. Some of them, I hope, definitely pass. We'll tell you about that as we move through the show tonight as well. Husker baseball at the top of the hour as the Big Red open a series tonight in Tempe, Arizona at Phoenix Municipal Stadium against the 12th-ranked Arizona State Sun Devils. Ben McLaughlin will be on the call of the matchup tonight. Let's start with the ballpark. I know they put some money into that thing. What's it like? Yeah, boy, they sure have. This place is pretty spectacular. You kind of driving off a little uh, service road to get here, and you know you just start look at the view. You got some of those desert mountains in the background, and the ballpark itself is. I mean, it's a big former big league ballpark. You know, for spring training, and they they've made it very, very, very nice for a college facility. And 
you know, I've, I've watched games here with, with streams this year and last, and it looks fine on stream, but actually being here and seeing it, it's a pretty spectacular venue. Huskers played in a regional down there in 07, but that's not this facility, correct? They had an on-campus one that they played at before, I believe. Yeah, this is a this is a newer ballpark for ASU, obviously occupied by uh, it's a former spring training facility. So they did have a, a you know an on-campus ballpark that they had, but this is not the one that you've been to. Okay, you tweeted out a couple minutes ago. You've got some breaking news for, as it relates to the Huskers. What's happening? Yeah, bad news for the Huskers as starting pitcher on Friday night's Gareth Schro did not make the trip to Lincoln. Um, Coach Bull told us before the game he's uh, been dealing with some elbow discomfort. Uh, it's a kind of a week-to-week deal is what they said. They are expecting to get him back, but obviously hmm. will not pitch tonight against Arizona State. So Max Schreiber is going to get the ball for the Big Red tonight, making his first Husker start of his career. So not the news you want to see or hear when you're going up against this caliber lineup with the best hitter in college baseball on it. Uh, but for Gareth, uh, you know, just made it out of a start okay and just as the week progressed, pitched a bullpen and things just progressively got worse. And, uh, you know, with something being up, coaches obviously taking no risk and keeping him home this weekend. Wow, that's, that's rough news. It's only week three of the season. And for your Friday guy to already now having to miss a start, I guess the good news is they don't, at least the feeling is it's not a long-term deal. I, I hope that's accurate, right? I mean, it, that's a, that would be a huge blow to what this season could be. Well, Greg, it wasn't but a week ago that we were sitting in a ballpark and, and not far away in San Diego thinking, okay, um, you know, if, if the pitching continues on this trajectory, you know, what's it going to look like? You know, when we have midweek games and who's going to start those and eat those innings to that point, we really, really hadn't had a spectacular start yet. And we were wondering, you know, if one of these guys, you know, loses their spot in the rotation, who's going to be the fourth guy? Like we had a hard time even coming up with one when everybody was healthy. And now with Stroh being uh, on the shelf for a little while, that's that situation has presented itself in a in a much more concerning fashion than maybe we had originally thought. Okay, so Schreiber gets the ball tonight. He's really been stretched out. Even his first appearance, he went five innings, so he ought to be able to give Nebraska a fairly lengthy start, I would think. Yeah, that's kind of best-case scenario. Chatted a little bit with Jeff Christie, Nebraska pitching coach, today about best-case scenario. And, you know, Max is stretched out to be a starter. He's already thrown, you know, as you mentioned, over five innings and um, is upwards to 80 pitches in an outing already. So, uh, he is stretched out. Best case scenario is he's effective and can give you some innings. If if this lineup roughs you up in the first couple innings with still two more games to think about, uh, it's going to put Nebraska in a really big hole and have some questions to answer with, with their bullpen and how they want to you know kind of arrange that Rubik's Cube. But it's Schreiber's ball right now, and, and luckily this – you know, Arizona State, you look at their stats and you go, well, you know, these guys aren't very good. They're only hitting 215 as a team. Almost everybody in this lineup is back from a year ago, and a lot of these guys hit 300 or better with multiple home runs. So it's just a matter of time before these guys bust loose and start hitting the way that they're capable of. You just hope that it's not this weekend against Nebraska. Yeah, I was going to say, the Husker fans saw that this Sun Devil team in, in Lincoln last year. Nebraska was able to win two out of three. They did get bombed in the Friday game, but to the Huskers' credit, they came back and won Saturday, Sunday. Hunter Bishop is a big loss out of that lineup. That was a guy that was a top 10 pick last June in the MLB draft. How much do you think they miss him and, and protection in and around Torkelson, who is their, their huge All-American this year? 
Well, there's no doubt they do. I mean, you look at what Hunter Bishop did last year, and his numbers replicated almost identically what Torkelson did, and Bishop was a lot bigger problem on the bases with 12 stolen bases. But, you know, you look at how Arizona State structured that lineup a year ago. They had Torkelson in the two-hole, but with the loss of Bishop, they've had to move Hover, who was their leadoff hitter, um, you know, down back behind Torkelson to the three spot. So they're trying to give him some protection with Hover and Workman, but it's hard to replace a caliber of player that Hunter Bishop was and what he did in that lineup. Now, Hover's getting every opportunity in the world, Greg, to, to, to do something because of the way teams are treating Spencer Torkelson. He has walked 18 times mm. in nine games. That's averaging two per game. His on-base percentage is 605, and he's still hitting 320 with four home runs. So, I mean, he's getting walked a ton. About one of every two at-bats he's getting put on, and a lot's on Hover's plate to kind of pick up that slack. And, you know, it's something he's going to have to get used to because if teams have the ability and the situation to present itself to walk Torkelson, that's what you're going to do. Ben McLaughlin with us from Phoenix Municipal Stadium, home of the Sun Devils. Nebraska opens a series tonight against the 12th-ranked ASU Sun Devils. Uh, tonight, tomorrow night, Sunday afternoon games. It's been two weeks, Ben, since this team has tasted victory. What about the mental state? What do you gauge being around the guys the last 24 hours? Yeah, and I was around them some this week, too, and they, they, they seem hungry. You know, a lot of times you can get down or – you know, have doubts start creeping in. They're still a confident team. A lot of these guys believe that they should be five and one and six and zero right now, and obviously they're not. They're they're the opposite. They're one and five. But you know, they believe that they're a better team than some of the teams that they've played already this year. So I don't think there's any you know low hanging heads. I don't think they're feeling sorry for themselves. And you know, Arizona State's not going to feel sorry for them. You know, struggling a little bit themselves. Or they've played better lately, but not off to a great start this year. You know, you hope Nebraska can come down here and play well and, and, and snap that losing streak that they've carried with them the last couple of weekends. Okay, you gave us the tough news on Garrett Stroh. Do you have something positive to tell us about Jackson Hallmark for tonight or for the weekend? Yeah, yeah I do. Um, you know, so you, you, you lose one, but you gain one. Jackson Hallmark progressed very well this week. He um, practiced with the Big Red a couple of times and got a good workout in. Uh, on Thursday, you know, when the team came down here yesterday and, and practiced on Wednesday as well. So he is back in the lineup. He will bat lead off and play second base. So that nice. will make Nebraska a lot better defensively and uh, and throw Cam Chick in the DH spot where he's probably more comfortable. So, you know, you lose one one big one in Stroh, but you get a big one back in Hallmark, who obviously got out to a good start this year with a couple of hits in the season opener against the Baylor Bears in Waco. Okay, General, when we when we go to the Phoenix area, there's there's some Husker fans that find their way to the ballpark. Do you, are you seeing any red in the stands yet? Yeah, um, I would say right now, I mean, the red is dominating the maroon, but, you know, the red had to come a lot farther than uh, the Sun Devil fans. So there will, there will be a good contingent of Husker fans here this weekend. I know a handful of the parents made the trip as well, so I'm expecting a good Husker crowd tonight. There is a lot of red in the stands right now, but that's only going to get uh, – get more it's get, get more full as the as the first pitch nears okay um nick hanley make it are there i understand there was a little plane issue for for your broadcast partner tonight yeah, the broadcast team is present and accounted for uh everybody is where they're supposed to be they have appropriate passes uh so yeah we should have uh, as good of a broadcast as the b team can 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 produce without the voice of the huskers here but uh, yes, Nick is here. He's bright-eyed, he's bushy-tailed, and he couldn't be more fired up to call a baseball game after the 
hellacious travel day that he had. Well, he's the only one that's called a win in that booth tonight. I know. Yeah. Um, you know, I would I would say I had scoreboard on him on a seven-run inning on my first inning of play-by-play, but we lost that game, so I'll just keep that to myself. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to do that. I uh, just want to get you a quick thought from you about what you've seen from the league through two weeks, and then there's some finals that have already popped up today. Tim had some of those on our ticker at the top of the show. What What's the early snapshot of the Big Ten in baseball after two week, full weeks of play? Yeah, it's it's – kind of hard to size up a little bit because everyone's going to point to Michigan and what they're doing or what they're not doing I guess is the right way to put it they're really struggling this year Um, and to me it's not entirely a surprise I don't know why everybody just because the run they went on last year assumed that they were just going to be this uh, this big power uh, in college baseball and you know losing what they did um, I, I'm yet I'm, I'm still hesitant to make opinions on the league. We've seen teams play well at times. We've seen teams struggle a little bit. Maryland today got pounded by Coastal Carolina. We thought they were playing better, and the Chanticleers just ripped them today, 16-0. Ohio State's been slow out of the gate. Indiana is off to a good start tonight. They're looking for their biggest win of the year against ECU, but they haven't played overly well. Northwestern, you could make the argument, Greg, was one of the worst teams in the league picked by the, the – all the publications has the best series win of anybody. They took two or three from South Carolina uh, down in the Gamecock State, uh, you know, last week. So uh, it's been just an okay start to the league, and you know, you're obviously hoping that things turn around because this is the only chance you have in college baseball to help that RPI before conference play gets started. Yeah, it's it's, an, it's a weird thing as a fan because you're trained not to pull for league teams, but this kind of this time of year you kind of do, right? I mean, you want. You want the league to have a decent RPI, and this is where your RPI usually gets kind of set, whether you're going to be the fifth-best league or the sixth-best. So it's a weird time of year to be a baseball fan, whether you pull or don't pull for your league. Unless you're going to be a team that just dominates your league uh, week in and week out and then blitz through the conference tournament where it doesn't matter what your other conference mates are doing, uh, then you better be rooting for the Big Ten. And, and I can tell you, Nebraska's not that team this year. There's not a team in the Big Ten that's, that's that way this year to where you can just worry about yourself and, and nobody else. You know, if you're one of those teams or one of those fans that roots against the Big Ten all the time, that, you know, when it comes time to bubble talk and, you know, when we're sitting here talking about where Nebraska's at in regional conversation in the Big Ten tournament, you know, you kind of wish that Nebraska's RPI was bumped up a few points, and that's only done if the other teams in your league do enough work um, in their non-con and, and get their RPI in a position to where it helps you. That's something that Coach Erstad doesn't get enough credit for uh, while he was the head coach here in his eight years, is completely changing the league philosophy. So many other teams in the Big Ten schedule more aggressively because of Coach Erstad's thought process, and it's the correct one. It's getting better, but it's still not where it needs to be. No, that's a great point, and you're right. It's, it's certainly... That, along with the improved facilities that we've seen around the conference, two major shifts in the last 10 years. And I think Nebraska had a little bit to do with both because people would come to Haymarket Park and go, whoa, this place is legit. And so they knew they had to pump a little bit more money into it, and we certainly enjoy that week in and week out throughout the league. All right, um, the real field temperature, is that a factor at all tonight? I Probably not, I would guess. Real feel <laughs> is not a factor. Uh, the broadcast team is in short sleeves. Uh, I, I threw the shorts on today. It's kind of a rule for me. If I'm going to a, a West Coast climate in February and, uh, you know, it's above 55, <laughs> I'm wearing shorts. 
And, yeah, I think it's going to be a very comfortable night for baseball. And I think fans here will, will uh, at least the Husker fans that made the trip are going to enjoy this too. It was beautiful today. It was in the mid to upper 70s, and it's going to be right around, you know, low 70s at first pitch. And temperature should hold throughout most of the night. So it's going to be a very comfortable night. Nice. going to catch any spring training while you're down there or just, uh, just worry about the, the ball, the broadcast? To be determined, I think uh, we might go – ease Nick's mind a little bit after the day he had today on the golf course. Now, that might only last two holes when when uh, seven irons are thrown and, um, you know, there's <laughs> balls lost and, you know, profanity. Not not to say either of us would have that. No, but, no, no. You know, no. Uh, you know the, things could get explosive on the golf course tomorrow, and, and uh, I'm not just talking about the golf balls either. So let's just hope we – the question is, can we make it to the broadcast tomorrow? That's, that's the question. Yeah, all right. Well, have a good call tonight. We appreciate the update. No problem. Just a few more minutes left of the show. Top of the hour, Husker baseball as they open the series with Arizona State. Mentioned I had some updates from the NFL Combine. You have the four Huskers that are there. The defensive linemen uh, did their bench press today where they try to bench press a certain amount of weight in a certain amount of time. And Khalil Davis was second of all the defensive linemen that are there with 32 reps. And a guy... That had 33 right ahead of him. Carlos Davis, Khalil's twin brother, 27 reps. Darian Daniels, 21. Um, pretty impressive for Khalil to do that. So you, you've got Khalil, who had a really good week participating in the Shrine Bowl back in January, and now off to a good start at the Combine with a very impressive bench press. So that's awesome to see that. Those are the first bit of numbers we've seen from any of the Huskers. Lamar Jackson also there. Uh, over the next couple of days, all these guys will do bench. They'll do interviews. They'll do the 40. They'll do the shuttle time. All those different things. But uh, the bench was today. And good results for Khalil Davis. Second among all the defensive linemen are there with 32 reps. So uh, good work by him. Mentioned before the break that the College Football Rules Committee um, met today and announced some suggestions that they're putting for the full body to vote on in April for some rural changes to college football in the fall. The one that it's getting the most attention, and this is one that I am fully in support of, is that replay reviews, if this gets voted through by the full, but it's being recommended by the rules committee, should take no more than two minutes. And I think it's David Shaw from Stanford who's on the committee, was the spokesperson after the committee met today. And his reasoning was, if you go to review a play after something's been called on the field in whatever way, if you can't decide if the call was right or wrong in two minutes, you need to move on. Amen. Good night. Let's go. I mean, two minutes is a long time to be reviewing video. And it's, a, it's guys up in the press box that are reviewing the video. So they're sitting there. They don't have coaches screaming in their ears. They don't have fans right behind them. It's quiet. They can focus. They can concentrate. They can look over a couple of angles. But I like this because sometimes these reviews take forever. The whole rhythm, the flow of a game gets completely disrupted by this. And, and I agree with this. If you can't determine if the call was right wrong in two minutes, then go with what was called on the field. Go with what the guys that are right there call if you can't decide either that it needs to be overturned or whatever you decide two minutes to me is plenty of time to make that go and I think anybody who sits in the stands for these games particularly when you get into November 
and it's freezing cold, and you're kind of like, come on, let's go. Keep this thing going. So perfect. Love that. Two minutes should be a clock. Clock that thing. You can imagine watching TV in the fall, and you can see the countdown clock underway and know that you're going to get an answer within two minutes. Good for them. That, to me, seems seems perfect. Another one that they are recommending, and this one has been a bit of a soapbox thing for myself, and, and I'll speak for Matt Davison as well, that since the targeting rule went into effect in 2013, if you are flagged for targeting and the call is upheld that, yes, you did, the rule has been that you have to exit the field. you got to go sit in the locker room. And Matt and I are the same thing that that's really cruel to a kid, that he has to go sit either by himself or maybe you have a manager who hangs out in there with him while everybody else is out. He can't follow the game. Now they're going to be allowed to stay on the sideline. They'll have their helmet taken away, which means they cannot re-enter the game, but they at least get to stay inside the team box on the sideline. And, wow, I think that's exactly the way it should be done. I hope this gets pushed on through because, let's let's face it, a lot of these, there are some that are blatant, no doubt, but a lot of them are like, Phew, okay, I can see why he did that. The offensive player ducked his head, but by rule it's still targeting. I just think it's cruel to send a kid to the locker room for a play in a, in a physical f- sport where the kids are playing at such high velocity and all that to make the kid, particularly when it happens in the first half. My gosh, he's going to go sit there for two and a half hours or whatever in the locker room basically by himself. So love this one. Hope this one gets pushed through as well. The other one that that um, has been recommended on up for the full vote of the full body is that the officials will now be required to be on the field and really in charge of everything 90 minutes before kickoff. It's been 60. It's getting pushed to 90. And you may say, well, well, well why? Well, we've had some preseason altercations that when teams, you know, are, are standing right near the 50-yard line doing their warm-ups, the, the trash talking starts. And a lot of times this happens before the stripes show up. So you got coaches, you got weight coaches, you got all that are trying to, you know, shush their guys back. I think if you have the officials, the game officials out there, you will add to, you will add like a peace force out to this thing before this, before emotions escalate on up. And it was a bowl game. I believe it was the Belk Bowl this past year, Kentucky, Virginia Tech, where things got really heated way before the game started and the officials weren't out there. So the recommendation is get those officials out there, have them be visible, have them be present, have them monitoring the warm-up activities 90 minutes before kickoff. Another really sensible rule in my eyes uh, that has been recommended for the full vote in April. So those are the big three. Replays cannot take more longer, can't take longer than two minutes. The officials need to be on the field, kind of in a managerial role, 90 minutes before kickoff. And for targeting, you no longer have to go to the locker room and sit by yourself. You can, you're allowed to stay on the bench and still be a part of your football team for the rest of the game. To the phones we go. John and Lincoln, you're up next. Good evening. Hi. Yes, sir. Yeah, on the, uh, the requirement for the, the uh, officials to be there 90 minutes, uh, I think that's kind of going overboard. I think that there's a lot of staff on those teams that should be able to to handle that rather than uh, put an ex- extra load on the officials. 
what, just to walk around? You're getting, they're getting paid pretty well to work that day. Why not get them out there 30 more minutes? Yeah. I think is that that stressful for them? That really yeah. stretching those guys too much, you think? Uh, they, they're there for a, uh, you know, a long time already, so that, that's my take on it. All right. Appreciate it. All right. Man, I mean, those guys are compensated pretty darn well. I don't know that adding 30 minutes for them to just kind of wander around and walk around and make sure there's peace out there. Obviously, there have been issues, John. I mean, we've had these brawls before games, so something's not working. So I think you got to try something, and I don't think it's really stressing these officials to put 30 more minutes of time on their workday. Let's go to Grand Island and Chris. Hello, Chris. You're up on Sports Nightly. Hi, Greg. How are you this evening? I'm good. Thanks. Um, I like I like the new rules. I think it's finally college football is actually starting to take a toll what needs to be done. Well, I think these are all pretty common sense things. I mean, why yeah. make a kid go sit in the locker room? Because in a fast-paced, hard-hitting game, he probably lowered his helmet too much. Why not have I officials mean, put 30 more minutes in there when kids are out there yeah. warming up, make sure there's not smack talk going on? And, uh, you know, why not uh, – why not just limit these replay reviews to two minutes? I think it's all all three are really, really sensical moves. Yeah, because with, with the young man, if he gets spiked for targeting, say what happened if he's a senior and this is his last home game and this would be the last time he'll get to play in front of whatever, 50,000 to 95,000 or 100,000 fans for his last time on the field. I think he should stay out there with the rest of his teammates cheering on the team even though physically he can't be in the game because he's been flanked for targeting. Remember Nate Gary, Chris? Yes, I do. Last home game for him against Iowa. He had to go sit in the locker room. Then then he got allowed to play in the uh, Foster Farms Bowl, and he got flagged again. Right, yeah. So not only was it his last home game, his last real game, he had to finish both games up sitting in the locker room. So – I'm with you, Chris. This makes a lot of sense to me. I think you're right. Sometimes we, we pick at college football and the NCAA about some things that they do. You, you scratch your head. Here, I think they're going to get this right. I mean, because with the, uh, the two-minute rule change deal, I mean, yeah, why would you want to be sitting there and if it's like 15 degrees outside, say, for instance, here in Lincoln, Nebraska, and it's 15 degrees, 15 degrees outside and fans have been sitting out there for three, four hours, that's like why would you want to wait for an extra 15, 20 minutes for the officials to try to hurry up and get the right call on the field? Why don't you just hurry up and get it done two minutes or less? You bet. Chris, I'm with you. Appreciate the call. Keeps the game moving. It's one of my complaints about college basketball is how choppy the last minute of some of these games have been with clock reviews and all those things. It's really choppy. That'll do it for the show tonight. Baseball coming up on the other side. Thanks to Tim and to Brett for steering this one home. Back Monday with a full three-hour show, including Amy Williams with the coaches' show before they head off to the Big Ten tournament next week. That'll be during hour two on Monday's show. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll be back with you on Monday. Good night.